the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan Subscribe and Drive. No deposit, no compromise, no fuss. Find out more at Nissan.ie. You're very welcome back to the hard shoulder. Kieran Cudahy with you until seven o'clock. Alistair Campbell with me for the Thursday interview this week. And Alistair, I suppose that this interview usually takes the form of a, of a retrospective, but I have to ask you, of course about your reaction, first and foremost, to waking up this morning, I'm sure like the rest of us, to news alerts on your phone telling you that there was a full-scale invasion of Ukraine underway. Yeah, well, actually, part of it did make me think retrospectively. I I, I actually, I got up and started writing a kind of analysis and I posted it on my blog if people want to see it. Um, Going right back, to be honest, I mean, and you know, the headline on the piece was, you know, Putin, it's an act of war and it's an act of evil, but, the, you know, he's exploiting the weaknesses of the West and we've been letting him do it for years. Um, so I really do think that the West has got to take a long, hard look at itself. And I'll, I'll tell you what really, really worries me, and this is something I've been saying ever since Trump became president, is that I honestly think that, you know, we grew up in a world where the sort of geostrategic dividing line was... The Cold War, East v. West, and it'll feel it feels like East v. West today. That's fine. Yeah, it feels like that. Uh, and then the political dividing line was kind of, you know, put simply, left v. Right. But I really think at the moment we're we're in danger of of sort of slumbering into a place where the dividing line is dictatorship and democracy. Um, I was I was quoting. Sorry to quote from my own blog about my own book, which sounds really <laughs> mad, but it's kind of relevant to this. I wrote a book called Winners. And I wrote this passage eight years ago, and I quoted Putin at the G20 in Brisbane in Australia, saying to them, if you remember, he was kind of causing trouble at the time and getting sanctioned about all sorts of other stuff. And he said to them, I'm the only one here with a strategy. I'm the only one here who's strong. You think you're going to bring me to my knees. I'm going to bring you to your knees. And I I remembered that, and I looked this morning at the the family photo at the end of the G20 summit. And he's still there. President Xi in China is still there. Modi in India is still there. And the rest have all gone. Um, now, I'm not suggesting that we should all think about becoming dictatorships, anything but. I'm simply saying, I think we've let them get along away with an awful lot. And of course, you know, the more you let them get away with, the more they'll try to get away with. Mm he's been exploiting our weaknesses you know if i look at what's happening in the uk johnson yesterday with the sanctions they were pathetic they were absolutely pathetic so he talks the talk we're going to have the toughest barrage of sanctions ever and he's going to you know hurt till the pips squeak or whatever it was nothing and i'm sorry you have to relate it to the fact that london has become one of the kind of money laundering capitals of the world that you know, I, I live in, in near Hampstead Heath. I mean, regularly around here, you hear helicopters flying around. Now, some of them are air ambulances because we're near a hospital. A lot of them are these bloody oligarchs just flying around, getting their kids to their private schools. And, you know, we've known this has been going on for years and years and years and years. And we've let it happen. Um, so, listen, it's incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly sad. I feel really, really... I went to Ukraine not that long ago and... You know, they're amazing people. Um, 
you didn't get that sense of fear or anything, but my God, they must be pretty scared now. Mm. And I think they will be feeling pretty lonely, pretty isolated. When you say he stood up in Brisbane in 2014 at this summit mm. and, and accused nobody else of having a strategy of thinking tactically, what, what was his strategy? What is it? Well, I mean, I said in his, his strategy, Putin is about the only leader in the world whose objective strategy and tactics are completely aligned. His objective is the reassertion of Russian power. His strategy is the reassertion of Russian power. And his tactics are anything that reasserts Russian power. So whether that's wandering around horseback with his shirt off, looking like, you know, he's a hard man, whether it's whacking off missiles, whether it's having those puppets in his cabinet that have to sit there and, you know, like nodding dogs, whether it's control of the media, control of the judiciary, they're all about exerting and showing Russian strength. And of course, you know, when I talk about the, the difference between dictatorship and democracy, of course that's easier if you've managed to turn your country into a dictatorship where mm. you've got control of the media, you don't allow protests, you kill your opponents and get away with it, both home and abroad, by the way, because that's something else he got away with here when he started killing people in our streets. And you do all that, the judiciary, the media, opposition, of course it's easier. But at the same time, so that, that's the strategy. The strategy is power. The, the strategy is to, is to use power to keep power. And, you know, we've let him, and he, he's, what he's doing today, I did an interview about this yesterday with, with somebody, and they said, you know, do you think he'll go as far as a full-scale invasion? I said, he'll go as far as we let him go. And what does stopping him look like? I think it's very, very difficult. I mean, it's all very well for Johnson to sit there with his flag in Downing Street and say, you know, we will make sure that this fails and we'll make sure that he sees that it, that it fails. Um, look, one of the... I'm not advocating, you know, NATO troops charging into Ukraine because then you are talking about, you know, let's might as well launch World War Three. But when all of our messaging has been, you know, we're not going to get involved militarily kind of thing, you know, a bit of support here and a bit of support there. So even when he made his big statement the other night, Joe Biden said, you know, obviously we're not going to have troops in, in Ukraine. So, but that, that of itself says to Putin, these guys aren't going to do much. So, I mean, at the moment, it's got to be a combination of diplomatic, political sanctions, military support for the Ukrainians. And, you know, that is happening. Um, but it's happening with us very, very much on the back foot. Mm. And it's happening with him having planned this for a long, long time. I mean, the point about that thing in Brisbane, that was 2014. He'd already been into, already done Crimea. And then, you know, I'm not saying any of this is easy, but I'll tell you the other thing that he's exploited. He's exploited four years of Trump. Having Trump as four years, sort of, you know, the sort of sycophantic game playing that Trump did because he thought oh, he's another strongman nationalist leader like me. Brexit helped him, which is why he was got involved in it. Our government refusing even to kind of properly investigate Russian interference in our democracy. That helped him because it showed what he could get away with. The fact that he had his pals all over London buying up property and buying up businesses and buying up the Tory party. That helped him. So all of these things have got to be undone. But it's, you know, a lot of it's too late. A lot of it's too late. But how can he not, as Keir Starmer said to Johnson yesterday, if not now on these tough sanctions, when? And even the sanctions, he's got it baked in. He's got it, you know, 
He's been planning for this. So while he's been playing the long game, Boris Johnson's been playing tennis with his mates over here to raise money for the Tory party. Honestly, the whole thing disgusts me. Democracies, though, for all of, you know, uh, for all their worth, they don't lend themselves maybe to that long-term strategic thinking, do they? They're, 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 they're more tactically inclined, democratic politicians. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, well, it's a fair assessment in terms of how, look, in the democracies, the genuine democracies, where you're having to, you know, regularly put yourself before the people yeah. to, to be prime minister of the UK or president of France or chancellor of Germany, whatever, then, then yes, but let's just talk about Germany. There's Angela Merkel. You know, she wasn't a short-termist. She wasn't... You, you can do this. I would argue that Tony Blair was a strategic leader. Yes, he was very good at the day-to-day. -day. Yes, he was very good at the tactical. But he was a strategic leader. I'd argue that Bill Clinton was. Um, it's possible to do it. But if you have America led by, by Trump for four years, Johnson now in, in the UK, who literally just bounces around from lie to lie, false promise to false promise, big slogan to big slogan, I mean, it's only a week that he said we we're going to bring in the biggest barrage of sanctions that the man has ever, man, you know, if he so much as put one toe cap over the border of Ukraine. Well, look where we are now. So I agree with your point. And of course, that's the point. The point you made is the point that they make, the Chinese and the Russians. This is what they say. They say, look at you lot. You know, you go on about your fantastic liberal democracies. You, I always think of this in relation to Heathrow. The first time I ever saw a piece of paper in Downing Street about the possible expansion of Heathrow Airport. I think it was 1998, right? <laughs> We're still talking about it. <laughs> How many airports have the Chinese built since then? When yeah. I, somebody reminded me the other day, I'm doing this podcast shortly with Rory Stewart and the former Tory cabinet minister. And he's, he, when we were doing the kind of couple of warm-up uh, episodes, he reminded me, he said, when you left Downing Street, when I left Downing Street in, you know, early in the 2000s, the UK economy was bigger than the Chinese economy. Chinese economy is now seven times bigger. Right. So they, the Chinese, uh, the Russians, they, now the Chinese economy is a lot stronger, but, but Putin, you know, he, he looks, they, they look at us at the moment with contempt. And I agree, you know, again, I completely get that it's a lot harder in the democracies. Look at all that stuff with the, the Winter Olympics in Beijing. You talk to mm. some of the journalists who are out there, they say it's a nightmare. You know, being followed, you can't criticise and all that stuff. Likewise, Russia, I mean, some of the stuff that's been on the Russian media, you know, you'd think that Ukraine was launching a, a war against Russia. So that's hard. I get it. that That's a lot harder. But... You know, we can't, we are, look, we are, you, the, 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 if you take your question to its logical conclusion, are we going to get to a point where we say, do you know what, this democracy game, it's, the game's up, it's not working anymore, so we might as well all become dictatorships. I mean, you know, what else is there? Well, when you talk then, say, about them, you know, countries like Russia and China exploiting our weaknesses, I mean, are those weaknesses inherent and you've just got to, deal with them and live with them or is there is there like is there a point in history that you look at and you say you know that's when the rot set in like that's when these leaders looked at the west and looked at nato or however you want to describe this group of nations and said you know what these lads are not all they're cracked up to be um i think it's 
I don't know if there's a single point. If you think about it, it's not that far since we had the, the fabled Francis Fukuyama saying, you know, end of history. Yeah, the whole mid-90s. world was going to become liberal democracy. Right. Well, there was a guy around at the same time, another futurologist called Samuel Huntington. And he said we were heading for the clash of civilizations. And I think he's nearer the mark. Um, but I think what's happened, I think a lot of this is about leadership and about the leaders that we, that we put in power. Um, I mean, look, if you're in Russia at the moment, you have no choice. If you're in China, you have no choice. They, you get the leaders that you're given and that's it. We do have that choice. And if you think about, you know, the last election here, the choice was Johnson or Corbyn. How did our politics get to a place where that was the choice? You know, I really like Joe Biden. I know a lot of people in Ireland really like Joe Biden, but, you know, Trump and Biden, two pretty old men, um, one of them proven and experienced, and I think a good man, Biden, one of them provenly a bad man, but who still might come back and win next time. I mean, it's, you know, that's two of the most important countries. If you didn't have, I mean, Schultz, I think is, you know, looking pretty good, but I think if you didn't have Macron in Europe at the moment, I'd be really worried. I'd be really, really worried about the state of our politics in Europe. And even he's kind of under quite a lot of pressure at the moment from the hard right. So I think a lot of it's about what political leaders we've got. And I think that I wonder whether, I don't know, I'm just thinking aloud now, but I think the technological revolution has made people feel that in their life, in their day-to-day life, if you've got a bit of money and you've got a bit of opportunity, you can pretty much get anything at your fingertips and it's very, very fast. But in politics, it's often slow. So you think that's nothing to do with me. And then you've got another section of the population that doesn't have the opportunity, doesn't have the wealth. And they just think, well, these people don't understand my life. So people disengage from politics. And then politics becomes the, becomes the plaything of, of the extremists and the fanatics. Mm. And, you know, I look at the conservative benches in the, in, in the British Parliament. I think, well, there's no way that represents my country. No way. So I think it's a sort of disengagement um, and I do think technology has driven it. I don't think we've really fully understood how technology's, you know, so much of it has changed for the better that we've all enjoyed. But I think there's an awful lot of stuff going on that's changed for the worse as well. This might seem utterly tangential, but how worried would you be when you talk about political leaders being worried? How worried would you be as a political leader in Taiwan? Oh, I mentioned that in the piece I wrote this morning. Absolutely terrified. I've made the point that China is watching how the world reacts to Putin today. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, David Miliband, uh, who was foreign secretary and now runs this big charity dealing with fallout of war and persecution, the impact on refugees, and he's doing an amazing job in this charity that runs the International Rescue Committee. But he, he, he talked about, you know, we're now living in the age of impunity. When you look at the stats, I don't have them in front of me, but the stats on actions by governments and military of governments that you know not that long ago would have led to international outcry united nations action war crimes tribunals and the like they just sort of there's an age of impunity and that's what happens when when rules and order break down and that's why you know i'm not comparing what putin's done to boris johnson having a few parties but if you have in the uk a prime minister who doesn't obey and respect the law or in relation to international law says that it's okay to break international law if it's in a limited specific way in relation to the Northern Ireland protocol. Don't you, you know, don't underestimate the extent to which the, our government doing that sent a signal right around the world 
to those countries that think it's okay to break international law. Well, mm. if the British can do it, we can do it. There was an assessment being proffered from some quarters last week that all of this might backfire on Putin in the sense that it was going to unify NATO like it hadn't been unified in some time. You know what I mean? There was lots of disagreements around the table in NATO. I mean, that's true to an extent, but how much will that matter to Putin if he can kind of roll tanks through Kiev right into Galicia? Um. It's very hard to it's very hard to know. Um, I mean, it's it's really interesting. Funny, enough, I was talking to Tony Blair this morning, and and we Tony when Tony became prime minister, he met Putin before Putin became president, and he came into number ten. And you know, he seemed like really sharp, really smart, quite modern, uh, saying a lot of the right things. And then over time, obviously, I've I've not seen him other than with Tony Blair, and. I left in in 2003. So, you know, we're talking 20 years since the last time that I had any kind of face-to-face interaction with him at all. But even during that period of that six years, whatever it was, you saw him getting harder and harder, more and more remote, more and more extreme in what he said. I remember once when he uh, we got a message through saying that he'd really like Tony Blair to, to go out there and have a one-on-one, just as in the, in the Russians, at his dacha in Russia, and, you know, it was it was a time when things were pretty tense because of Iraq, and so off we go, fly out to Moscow, wherever, get in, in bundled into these helicopters, sent off to the middle of nowhere, no idea where, and we had this dinner with him, which was all sort of perfectly, you know, polite and nice and friendly and conversational until about the last half hour when he absolutely laid into Tony Blair in a way that I've never seen wow. any other leader do it. Um, and it was vicious. It was vicious. It was. He, he wasn't exactly saying Bushy's poodle, but it wasn't far off it. Uh, and it was. And the contempt for America, and the contempt for us, and then the boasting about his power, and the boasting about this amazing place. And honestly, the place that we were at, this dacha, it was like it was like nothing I've ever seen. Uh, and so, it's not as if we haven't known this. So that was two thousand and three. And then, as I said in that piece that I posted, two thousand and fourteen, it is in Brisbane. He's actually hiding in plain sight. He's saying, I'm going to bring you lot to your knees. Mm. And then you have things like, you know, Salisbury. And I know he, sends, he gets away with killing people on his own streets. Navalny and, um, it's not Navi, uh, Nemtsov and those guys tried it with Navalny. And then he starts killing people here. And we shout a lot and we jump up and down a lot. But ultimately, he gets away with that as well. So the yeah. more he gets away with, the more he, th- the more he thinks... These people are weak. I can keep doing it. What did Tony Blair make of it when you were chatting to him this morning? Well, I think very worried, very genuinely very worried. And I think, you know, obviously not underestimating how how hard it is for, you know, the people in current positions of, of leadership. But I think does think that we've, you know, we just haven't faced up maybe to some of these big challenges that have been developing and developing over the last decade or so. And, you know, I get, Tony probably thinks that I go over the top in terms of my kind of, you know, whacking at the UK government, but I do think we've got the worst possible government at the worst possible time. And I think that this has gone on for a decade. I mean, this thing about the the Russians funding the Tory party, David Cameron's constituency party, the bulk of the funding came from one Russian businessman. Another Russian guy, he funded over 100 conservative parties around the country. They don't do it for the good of their health. 
So I think Tony's, you know, pretty worried about the whole thing, to be absolutely honest. Well, listen, we're going to have to leave it there. Alistair, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. My pleasure. Alistair Campbell, writer, communicator, consultant, strategist, mental health uh, campaigner. That's our lot for today's Hard Shoulder. My thanks to the production team, as always, Roisin Davis, Alex Russo, Ashling Moore, Mark Simpson and Ronan Coveney. Off the ball, they're up next and I will be back tomorrow from four. Have a good one, folks. (laughs) 